Hello, and welcome to Stuff TV. I'm your host, Nick Huzar. I'm also the uh, co-founder of OfferUp. And I started this channel because I was really curious about my own existence and how it impacts the planet. At OfferUp, we watch billions of dollars in secondhand goods exchange hands like every month. And so I just started to spend a lot more time on this. And I found it really hard to find answers and decided to uh, just talk to really interesting thought leaders in this space and everything around stuff. I think it's a really fascinating uh, challenge. And with me today, I've got Jonas Johnson. Uh, it's with a company called Stellar. And we're going to really focus on um, today's topic, which is all around, I think, construction and kind of why things are the way they are. You know, what is the impact and what are potentially some interesting innovations in the future? And so, uh, Jonas, thank you so much for being here. And we'd love to maybe back back up a little bit and just tell us a little bit about your your background to start. Yeah, no, thanks for uh, thanks for putting this on. Um, you know, I, I've spent most of my career in software, um, fast moving, tear it apart, iterate business, uh, you know, and, and I was mainly providing uh, technology for providing internet, uh, television over the internet. But I decided to make this shift to the slowest possible industry I could have picked in real estate. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, who are all these, these kind of slow curmudgeons that are running this industry that like they've done the same thing for the last 200 years and not innovated. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you a story. I, I realized uh, after being in this business for almost 10 years now, that there's a reason why uh, it takes so long and why you don't have the same software kind of innovation with, with the construction industry. Um, you know, my company, we have, uh, we've experimented building things with wood frame, with concrete modules, with, uh, with assembling pieces like Lego blocks and these flat pack concrete elements. We've done steel frame modules that get stacked on top of each other like blocks. And, um, you know, a number of these have, have not worked. Um, luckily, we have found some success with, with a few of them, namely these concrete modules. But uh, I've learned a lot about what doesn't work and, and <laughs> I've learned a little bit about what does work. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to share some of the, uh, you know, the, the pain and, and the good that we took out of it. Yeah, we'll de we'll definitely dig into that. I think one of the things I always like to start with is kind of making sure people understand the macro numbers. And I think when you look at like building construction in general, um, I think it accounts for about 30 to 40% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. And you might know more about unpacking that. I mean, there's a lot that goes into houses if you if you think about all of that and just the amount of waste probably associated with our homes. Uh, I, I don't know if you had know more about that stat at all. Yeah, I mean, if you just you think about a you know a landfill, the majority of things we have in a landfill landfill is uh, construction debris. It's um, it's either the waste product that comes from building something or the waste product of of tearing it down. Um, and so the construction industry, like you said, not only represents. 30 to 40% of the greenhouse gases, but it also just represents a lot of the stuff that we're figuring out what to do with. It just ends up in landfills. Um, so I think if, if you can even make a, you know, a single digit impact in the efficiency of building or reusing this material, it has a massive impact in the amount of stuff that we're just kind of tossing away and having to store um, or the amount of energy that we need to, to run society. 
Yeah, I always see that outside of like construction areas where they they got the, the big bins, right? It all just gets thrown in there. And I'm assuming no one's sifting through that. It's just a hot mess in there. They just end up um, throw, throwing a lot of it away. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard because I mean, you have so many different materials that are mixed together and there's not a clean way of separating it. So, I mean, the steel could be used um, to some extent. The concrete could be reused. But once you've mixed it all, that you have concrete mixed with rebar and insulation, uh, it, it ends up being more complicated, more costly and more environmentally damaging to try to separate all those materials. And yeah. so aside from like pulling out copper and a few of the more expensive metals, it all ends up just getting thrown into a landfill. That's rough. You know, interesting stat. I, I back in the early days of offer up, I was curious. I was doing some homework and I found that our homes were about 30 percent larger than the 1950s, but we're actually having less children. So we just started building bigger and bigger homes to store more and more stuff. Uh, and I think also we move a lot more. Uh, I think the last time I looked, it's like seven times or 11 times, somewhere in that range in a lifetime. So you think about all those changes and the impacts of that, um, it really adds up and I, th I think takes its toll on the, um, on the environment. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think I heard a statistic that the average American is like 300,000 things in their house. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you just think about like a simple thing that we could do. It's like we have, you know, 17 million vacant housing units in the u.s that are just sitting there uh and it's like does your grandmother need to live in the six bedroom house that like she raised her kids in uh i mean if if people were more if we had more kind of flexibility of people right-sizing uh the environment they need to live in um we we could actually extend the current housing stock we have for a long time but mm -hmm. we end up having to build and build and build and build because, uh, you know, people get comfortable living in their big house. They needed it when they had six kids. But um, but it, it, it is, you know, unnecessary, unnecessary, uh, not to mention costly uh, when people just d decide to live in way in excess of what their need is. Yeah. Well, and if your house is too big, you don't even get to see your kids. I always, I always say that I even, you know, have to yell for the kids sometimes, but your house is too big. You don't even, you know, know where they are. Um, but that is a kind of crazy stat, how much vacant housing we actually have, you know, out there. And I see that by the way, in my neighborhood, even both folks on both sides of me are, are retired, but they don't need a house that's that size. Um, and so that's clearly, clearly a big challenge there. Um, well, and, and so another thing I think is interesting um, given your background is you kind of have a, a view on things in the U S and also in Sweden, like you, you're pretty active on building in, in both different areas, maybe at a macro view, what, what do you think is similar or different and why, um, when it comes to policies and, and construction? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, Sweden is slightly more efficient, uh, than the U S in terms of the total energy consumption of their buildings and, and the energy used to, to build them. Um, and it, and it is different. I mean, some of that is just consumer preference and some of that is, is code related. Um, but in the U S like I build apartment buildings, uh, in the U S we traditionally build them out of one or two floors of concrete for podium construction. And then you build wood on top of that wood frame construction. 
um, or in some parts of the country, you, you just build wood frame construction and no concrete except for the, the slab that it sits on. Um, but in uh, in many parts of Europe, including Sweden, there has been this perception by a lot of people that that wood is not going to last a long time, that there's potentially fire risk. And so consumer preference has led that essentially everything is built in concrete, um, which, uh, you know, has pros and cons. Um, but that that's, a I think, the most dramatic difference that uh, that I've seen between those two markets. What about, I think, in terms of just overall policy and, and government pushing more or are there more rewards and incentives for people to take a more sustainable approach to construction there uh, versus the U.S.? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, like, you know, in the U.S., uh, you know, there's a lot of debate around ESG right now, uh, whether it's good or bad or whether companies should be having an ESG philosophy or not. But regardless of your political views, uh, you know, Sweden and many Swedish institutions have made it a requirement um, to, in order to get capital from these big institutions, you have to have very aggressive uh, sustainability, uh, environmental governance policies. And so what it's led to is that you have like some of the biggest uh, companies there that are that are in the construction industry, both contractors, but also developers that are making these really aggressive claims, like they're going to be CO2 neutral by, you know, 2030, or in some cases, even earlier. And it's uh, what's so, uh, you know, uh, bold about that statement is that it doesn't just require one company to say, I'm going to buy some cleaner material. There, there needs to actually be innovation in like the entire supply chain that has to change for that to happen. It's kind of like, you know, saying that 70% of the cars in the road are going to be EV cars yeah. in, within the next 10 years. Like, okay, well, it's one thing for all the consumers to buy those cars, but like, how does the infrastructure get upgraded to, to support that demand? And that requires, you know, billions of dollars, if not hundreds of billions of dollars of infrastructure upgrades that have to happen uh, just for that to be, you know, theoretically possible. And so, I think, you know, Swedish, to your point, Swedish policy has been uh, really pushing for being really aggressive in uh, in both setting environmental goals, but also how aggressive those environmental goals are. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think, you know, so far they, they have um, been willing to invest and gone a little bit further in environmental sustainability than what is feasible here today. Um, which is kind of a requirement of, like I said, the, the money at the end of the day. Um, but it's not, the verdict's not out of this is going to work because there's a lot of things that have to happen for, for it to even be possible. Yeah, I was I was kind of, I was on Twitter today kind of talking about this topic and the more I connect with folks, I think there's a lot of hope out there and excitement, which is great, but hope is not a strategy. And back to what you said, there's a number of companies, oh, we're going to get here by, you know, in the next... 20 to 30 years, like, okay, well, where are you going to be in five years? What is the benchmark? How are you driving towards that? How do you know if it's actually working? But it's always dangerous when you're looking that far out. It's, oh, we're going to get here. And so I think that's the thing that makes me a little nervous is there seems to be a lot of that. It doesn't matter the industry. A lot of people making these bold claims that they're going to get there. But I think, like you said, you, we have to rethink as a, as, a, as a society everything. We have to think about 
how we manufacture and transport things. We have to think about how we remove waste. Um, and the only way I know how to do that faster is the government has to get more involved to some degree to really push this. Because if you don't have that, then how are you holding business accountable? And I think right. that's just a challenge I, I see. And that's, again, where I hope this, you know, doing this podcast and other ways to kind of enlighten people and get them to be aware of actually what's happening. Um, so just it's, it's, a very com- it's a very complex, you know, challenge for sure. Like, what is your view on just kind of the landscape today? A lot of things have changed, especially in the, you know, we kind of went through the housing crisis and it felt like construction slowed down. And then all of a sudden, you know, well, we had a lot of very low interest rate decade, trillions of dollars pumped in the economy and it went just on hyperdrive. And now rates are, you know, the Fed keeps moving up rates. And do you think we're going to go through another phase of kind of tightening up um, supply? And do you think that's going to have an impact on how people think about just sustainable construction at all? It's a good question. I mean, I, I definitely think that, like, in general, real estate, uh, you know, got hit differently than venture capital. Like, venture capital is, like, all based on future potential returns. And so, uh, you know, as as interest rates go up, your, your uh, net present value you know, gets negatively hurt. So like future cash flows are worthless. Well, in real estate, you're more a shorter term cash driven model. Um, and you're looking for stability and basically your the amount of cash that you can generate. So as interest rates have gone up, it's like it's squeezed uh, the profits for a lot of these businesses. So I think to your point, like in the short run, um, we're probably we're going to see a tightening of the belt and probably a reduction in new supply. And that's true. Like if you look at right now, there's more construction cranes in the U.S. than there has ever been in the history of the U.S. So, so from that metric, supply is is you know on full speed ahead. But the issue is that, like I said, construction is a slow industry. Like you have to go through two plus years of getting something permitted, uh, and then you have to go through another couple of years of construction. And so your delay, just when you see cranes in the air it's reflective of kind of decisions people made three to four years ago. Um, But if you look at the number of new permits, uh, permits have fallen dramatically uh, from where they were just last year. And so depending on the city you're in, I mean, we're seeing certainly double digit reductions. And in some cases it's 30, 40, 50% reduction in the number of, of new permits. So I think we will see a dramatic decrease in supply for a period of time. Um, but there's like this saying that inflation is a real estate owner's best friend. It's like at some point, all this is going to, in a free economy, will figure itself out and uh, generally will result in real estate being a, a, a an asset class that that uh, is able to capture inflation. So I, I think it's kind of a short term issue, but like stepping back over a period of, yeah. of six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Um, I, I I think it'll be kind of a, a blip in time that will get resolved because like at the end of the day, depending on what you're building, like in my industry of apartments, people need to live somewhere. Um, you're either, you know, living with your parents, you're, you're living in a home or you're, or you're renting an apartment. And right now the cost of ownership is a lot more expensive. So I, I think a lot more people are going to move towards apartments. And so as a result, I, uh, all things equal, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a benefit to the apartment industry. I think the home industry 
is kind of going to suffer from a lack of supply for a few years until like these things get somewhat uh, normalized. Um, but uh, I, to answer your question about sustainability, there is so much pressure uh, from government stimulus. I mean, the amount of money that has been pumped into the economy to support sustainable initiatives in onshore manufacturing between the infra, you know the Inf Inflation Reduction Act and, and the, mm -hmm. the infrastructure bill, there is going to be uh, there is going to be a tremendous amount of innovation that happens um, in the sustainability field as a whole. Um, that I, there is, I don't, I don't believe there's any way that's not going to impact positively the construction industry. We were kind of in this like, uh, you know, software companies for the last 20 years have like ruled the day. Uh, you look at the, the, the biggest companies in the world, a lot of them are software companies that were able to scale infinitely. And most innovation happened uh, in software because it was easy to scale and it was and it was um, and we didn't have all that underlying infrastructure that was capable mm -hmm. of taking advantage of technology. And like, if you look at most of in most factories, the equipment that you're using in those factories, if it's running on a computer at all, it's running on, you know, an operating system that is like 15 plus years old. Mm -hmm. um, and we're now getting to this turning point. Like you've seen companies like Tesla, for instance, that are there's more software engineers working at Tesla than there is car manufacturers. Um, and it's the convergence of software and hardware businesses is just starting to happen and you know i think with some of the kind of de-globalization happening there's like this this massive trend that i think is going to be kind of permeate through our entire generation is this onshore manufacturing that happens and all these big industrial companies that have like real estate that have operated in kind of a snail's pace are all of a sudden going to get hit with this wave of innovation, much like software did to other industries. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight because all this infrastructure has to get upgraded. But I think we're just starting to see the wave of that happen right now. Um, and, with, and, and with your company, with, with Stellar, like I've always felt like you were already kind of pushing some of these things way before it was maybe more popular. Like, can you give us some examples of, of things when you think about sustainability, what are things that you you've you've played with in the past, and what have you learned through that? Yeah, I mean, I referenced it at the beginning. We've we've tried with ways of constructing buildings. Um, I mean, the average building, uh, like in my industry, the average apartment building, we have at, at least thirty different specialty trades. They're called that specialty skills that need to be on a job site. To complete a construction project that's like electricians plumbers people that finish work framing um so you know uh that creates a lot of inefficiency and a lot of waste that uh you're discarding of all this material and stuff is ending in ending up in a landfill um and so if um and so as a result like i have tried to find other solutions and and this company has tried to find other solutions that we can build things that are in a more factory like setting, how you can replicate the efficiency of, uh, 
you know, an industrial process in a construction site. And so that's been different forms of modular. Um, and a lot of them haven't worked. Uh, but like I said, the one that the one that has been successful so far overseas, predominantly in, in Sweden, has been flat pack concrete modules that get assembled on site. Um, it's like a Lego. Just shows it's like that. a Lego, basically. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a handful of different parts, walls that have they have space for electrical conduit and for plumbing. And so when you connect these things, uh, you're reducing the number of people that need to touch it at the final job site because uh, you already have space designed in the wall itself for the electrical, for the plumbing, the structures there, the framing is there. Everything is in one single unit that can get assembled with one tradesperson instead of having to have, you know, a half a dozen to touch that piece to do the same work. Um, and, uh, and so I, that trend will continue. Um, but it's going to require a, a, like I said, a, a bunch of other innovations that have to happen before we're going to see like buildings getting erected by robots, for instance, which I think is totally possible. It's just that we're not, it's not going to happen next year or the following year. Um, but it, it certainly could be a prospect of the future. Well, let's elaborate on that. Uh, um, what do you think about 3D printed homes? What do you think you can, once let's say that is enabled, how do you rethink everything? You know, one, one of the things that impressed me about Tesla is Tesla rethought the car entirely. They didn't, you know, they entirely, all the things they're doing, he's like, we're just going to do all this differently. If you could kind of paint the picture in the future, like what would it look like? 3D printing, printing when it originally came out was like this catch-all technology that people thought was going to like totally revolutionize anything, any kind of manufactured good. And it hasn't really worked out that way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think mainly because it's like a point to point system. So like you have like a plastic polymer that is basically trying to recreate something with a, a point. And if you have a, like a, a large scale industrial good, um, it's not very efficient. It's slow. It takes up a lot of machines, takes up a lot of, space therefore in order to produce anything in high quantity so it works for like rapid prototyping but it hasn't worked for like mass manufacturing of goods the one exception to that has been uh, metal fabrication where we have been able to do quite a lot of things that are kind of using 3d printing uh concepts and 3d printing technology to build actual products that are used today in industrial processes um and it's in order for the construction industry to see the benefits of 3D printing, we're going to need to borrow from how the metal industry created 3D printers, that it's able to do it based on essentially like lines instead of on a point system. Mm. Um, and so there's been a number of technology companies out there that have tried to do this, and they've come up with some really cool stuff. Um, I mean, you know, you have some that have tried assembling basically a giant 3D printer on a job site that can lay concrete by automated by itself. And you just basically put in a CAD drawing and then it, it just traces that drawing until it finishes the entire structure. Is that the robots? Have you seen the robots that will go out and they'll lay every little line, everything you need, they just go through it. Like you have to have like a flat concrete floor and they'll go out yeah. and they'll just map it all. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then there's other ones that like are doing it in pieces kind of like, you know, we are where, where it gets assembled like Legos, where you have 
pieces that are assembled in a factory, then brought to site and then reassembled by people. Um, and the, the, the craziest one that I've seen is essentially using a, like a, the, your bone, like a lattice structure, which is this kind of like it and this random almost mesh uh, of plastic material um, that has more uh, tensile strength than st steel I-beam does, um, but it weighs a fraction of the weight. And rather than current kind of construction where everything is very square, the post and beam, you know, you have weight that gets transferred horizontally to, to your posts that then, then transfer the weight vertically down. You can build things that are any kind of a shape that you can imagine. And so uh, it kind of like blows your mind. Like if, if this took max mass scale and they could get away from the current drawback, which is the slow point-to-point -point aspect of 3D printing, and they can figure out how to do it faster, it would mean that, like, from an architect standpoint, you would, you're like, Sky, the world is yours. Like, what does it look like, right? Like, you can imagine, like, Tony Stark's house that would be, like, the, the mm -hmm. craziest <laughs> looking structure out of space uh, that doesn't need to have a single right angle if you didn't want to. Um, Qu question, and, question on, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say question on, on, on that point. So I felt like in the U.S. over time, we've gotten way more conservative. All the houses, especially in the cities, they look just they're just boxes versus you go to other places. Let's say you go to China. It's amazing. This, the, the last time I was in like Shanghai, it was incredible. The designs they had. I'm like the creative freedom. I'm like, these buildings look amazing. Why is that? Is that a code problem? I don't think it's a lack of creativity in the U.S., but I. I just it's it just feels like we're getting more sterile here from an architecture standpoint. I think it's a couple things. I mean, some of it is code. Some of it is that most cities now have adopted various versions of like a design review board, which is like a, a group of volunteers that you have to you have to present to and get your design wow. approved in order to uh, in order to get it built. And I think that it's like any artist, like you know. Art by consensus is never a great idea, um, and th and that's kind of like what we have done in the U.S. is like we've tried to democratize the design and zoning such that you end up with kind of like a lowest common denominator. Yeah. And um, the the other piece has just been that uh, you know you have kind of the efficiency of a capital a capital market. It's like people are trying to squeeze out. Uh, profit margin and therefore they're driving down cost. And yeah. so the buildings you see are like the almost like the most efficient, cheapest way yeah. that you in fastest way that you can put up a structure and at least meet the minimum required demand, design demand in order to get people to rent it or to buy it or to to live in it. But uh you know homes aside, single family homes, people that have the money will will do crazy things. But like yeah. most commercial buildings you're driving efficiency, cost efficiency down to the point where it's just kind of a, a it's like not worth the time box with like a couple different flavors of colors. And yeah, I feel like at this point for some of these buildings, you could just go and get the get the get the the blueprint offline. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna cut and paste this one now. Yeah, yeah. What what can like an average person actually do to impact this? I guess is my my big question. I think two things. I think. Uh, 
people that live in houses, I mean, most part of the country today, you can put solar panels in your roof and the government will essentially pay you to do it or other companies will cover the remainder of the cost to put it on. Uh, and they've extended the tax credits now available through um, the Inflation Reduction Act. And so solar panels are like not a thing of the future. In most of the country, that is something you can put on and it makes financial sense today. And that makes a, a big difference. Um, and the other one is like for my industry in the apartment business, it's like, uh, if, if people, uh, pay attention to the, and make consumer decisions based on how either environmentally damaging or how environmentally sustainable the company who built it is, um, which is not super easy, but, but one simple thing is that you can see if it's lead certified, it's kind of like the organic certification, if you will, for the construction industry. And you get a, a gold or a silver or gold or, or platinum. Um, and, and that's kind of a decent barometer to say, Hey, does this person care? And do they go above and beyond and doing something? And the more that people make purchasing or renting decisions based on, on, uh, how sustainable it is, the more that there'll be innovation in that sector and the more that people will, will invest in it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. This was, this was super fun. Well, thanks, Jonas. Thanks for the time and digging into a really important topic I think we can all, all relate to. So uh, thanks again.